Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Nam Holtz has quite a story to tell. Abandoned at birth in her native Korea, she was adopted at six months by an American family. She grew up in the Chicago suburbs, the third oldest of four children. She graduated cum laude from the State University of New York, where she earned a BFA in dance. It was clear she had talent. She spent her first postgraduate year on scholarship at the prestigious Merce Cunningham Dance Studio. She was also working, having been cast in the Broadway production of The King and I, and she went on to perform the musical in London's West End. Nam has also danced in Elton John and Queen's We Will Rock You at the Paris Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas and has toured the U.S. in Miss Saigon and Flower Drum Song. Then there are the film and TV roles, which include HBO's Bored to Death and Maggie Marvel. Nam's also been in commercials, Windex, Star Kiss Tuna, Sharkweed Miller 64, to name just a few. In 2011, Nam co-produced a short film, Playback. Four years later, her poem, Who Cut My Umbilical Cord, was published in Flip the Script, an adult adoptee anthology. Adoption, her own, is the focus of the very personal documentary found in Korea. It traces her journey back to Korea to locate her biological family. Nam happens to be the film's director, writer, and producer. She's also very active in adoption awareness and advocacy, having spent two years facilitating the teen mentorship group All Together Now, which works with adoptees and their families in Brooklyn, New York. So let's meet and get to know Nam Holtz. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Sandy, thanks for having me here. So you're six months old, and a family from Illinois comes to South Korea and wants to take you home. Now, obviously, you don't remember any of that. Actually, back then, yes, um, it was bef- it was before you had to go to the country to pick up your child. So they were waiting in Chicago for me to arrive. So there was a match made <laughs> that way. Good point. Yep. Talk about growing up in the Holtz family in the Chicago suburbs. As I mentioned, you're the third of four, you're the third oldest of four. Are you the only adoptee? I'm not. I have a younger brother from South Korea who's also adopted. Mm -hmm. So there are two biological children who are older than me and then myself and then my younger adopted brother. So you two are closer in age than, than your older siblings. Why did your parents want to adopt you and your brother? My mom is a social worker, Mm -hmm. and she got involved with plane greeting back then. You could go to the terminal, and she would help bring babies from the planes that they were arriving on and unify them with their new families. But she wasn't necessarily working with an adoption agency. That was part of her social work. Oh, that's so interesting. I never heard of that. Mm -hmm. And so... It even started before she did that. She started wanting to adopt as a young girl because her family was very open and welcoming. They used to house foreign exchange students on a regular basis. People were in and out of their house from different countries, from different... Great exposure. So her family was open and welcoming Mm -hmm. and wanted to be part of helping people. But how many years ago (laughs) was it that she adopted you? Well, I was born in 76. No, I was born in 75. Mm -hmm. I was adopted in 76. So you spent the first year of your life in an orphanage in Korea. Actually, I spent the first six months with two separate foster families. Was that common? Um, I think back then, yes, it was. And so that they were just transitioning. They were not necessarily adopting other children. Those families in Korea? In Korea, yeah. No, there was a booming need for foster families because the orphanages were overrun. Why? 
This is something that I discover in my film, Mm -hmm. but I'm happy to divulge this here. In the 70s, it was two decades after the Korean War. Right. The country was still extremely poverty-stricken, and a lot of families just couldn't take care of their children. Is that kind of a hidden secret, that Korea was struggling so desperately? You know, it's something that... I or is that just dismissed? The U.S. doesn't really talk about. Mm-hmm. The U.S. doesn't talk about a lot of other countries. Mm, really. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I never was educated about the Korean War in my school. So, you grow up in this, I would assume, very loving family. Oh yes. What was that like for you? You know, it was just like a normal. I, I didn't. You know, didn't feel different. I didn't know that. You know, I mean, I knew I was adopted, yeah. obviously, but I yeah. didn't know any other family. This mm-hmm. is my family. And you're close with your siblings? I'm very close with my whole family. That's wonderful. You mean an extended family as well? Absolutely. And so you go to college, which is interesting that you came from Chicago to New York to yeah. SUNY Purchase. <laughs> because, and I also read in your bio, and I will share this with you, that we have something in common. I read that you played the trumpet. Oh. Are you kidding? You played the trumpet? Well, not well. I picked a, an instrument, you know, when I was in elementary school, and I'll just share this anecdote because what the hell at this point, it's a million years ago. And I remember <laughs> being in my bedroom, as maybe I was third grade, fourth grade, I don't remember, and the windows would be open in the summertime, and I would play my version of When the Saints Come Marching In, and the neighbors would ring the doorbell and just say, <laughs> she's got to stop. This is horrible. I did have a solo a barker role, but then that was the beginning and the end of it. But I gather the trumpet meant more to you than it did to me. Oh, yes. I spent hours on my trumpet. Why? Why did you pick that instrument? I just loved it. My older brother played trumpet. Okay. I idolized him. (laughs) It was an easy pick. Did you think you were going to do something with that in later life? You know, when I was applying for colleges, I spent some time thinking about what would be entailed to be a professional trumpet player. And And female. And female. Um, I actually didn't really play into the female-male thing very much. Oh, good for you. Uh But I realized, like, how many hours I would have to spend in the practice room. And back then, I was really social. I ended up choosing a career that I could keep music and then also be more social and then physically moving. Well, how did how did dance become a part of your life? Well, I started in a little like, you know, Dolly Dinkle school. Yeah, like every, every, yeah. And one of my um, mom's friends said, you know what, mom actually can really dance and you should get her into a good school. So they transferred me to this very strict Evanston School of Ballet, which I credit everything to. Amazing training, amazing morality. Uh, this was an ethics. after school program or this is where you went full time? This was an after school program. Okay. And I ended up going there, you know, five days, five, six days a week, spending most of my time choosing that over birthday parties. Wow. Or other thing. I just wanted It really to spoke to you, huh? Yeah. And it was great for me. And I got involved in, you know, performances. And then I got involved in musical theater performances as well. Was it all forms of dance or was there a specific focus for that you? That school was ballet, pure ballet. I did start branching into more jazz and modern later on. But ballet was the foundation. So you, in your young mind, and as you got older, assumed that this was going to be your future. Uh, You know, I never assumed anything. Okay. (laughs) And you had talent. I did. And I also choreographed. As in in high school, I choreographed the all-school musical twice. Wow. Once as a sophomore, once as a senior. I really enjoyed it. I was good at it. So it was a natural fit, natural act. It was. So why did you pick SUNY Purchase? Uh, did you want to go to New York? Was that a, a big deal? That was the pull. I uh-huh. visited a lot of schools. Um, the two major 
choices were North Carolina, the School of the Arts, and then Purchase. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be closer to the city. And so obviously that worked for you, didn't it? You learned a lot. You succeeded because to get a scholarship with Merce Cunningham is no small potatoes. No. (laughs) And so did you audition for that or did they come to you? One of my substitute teachers was on faculty there and she said to come to the audition. And what did that mean to be on scholarship with them? Is that a full-time activity? It was five days a week. You had to make a specific number of hours. I don't know how it is now. I, I don't really fully recall. They paid for the majority of the hours of the school. Right. So, so you, you, you didn't have an opportunity to work. You didn't have time to do that, well, did you? Well, I did. I worked at a Starbucks okay. nearby. Did they house you back no. then? Did you live with other dancers? I was living with my purchase roommate. So then the fact that you got the king and I so quickly, did that surprise you? Yes, because I went to the audition at my last semester of purchase, and they asked, when are you graduating? And I said, this this is my last year. And they said, okay, we'll keep you on file. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, hire me now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I got a call while actually I was working two jobs. I was working at a tanning salon (laughs) and Starbucks, and I got the call, um, and they said, can you come in for an audition? They put me through a rigorous week of hell. Uh Uh (laughs) And then um, I got cast. And so how long were you in the production? A little over six months. And then right after that, you went to London? Very soon after that, they called me and said, we need this because I was a swing. So I was covering 14 tracks, um, singer and dancer. Wow. It's someone specific to do to be able to do that. So the King and I, in terms of its totality, how long were you involved with that production here and there? God, like um, two years. But New York was your base? New York was my base. And so you were living the dream? I would say in increments. Okay. Because as we all know as workers, as performers, it's... Um, it's very well, hidden. It's, it's kind uh, of, yeah. you know, you're on for six months and you got a six-month dry spell. I think I had a good few years run there mm-hmm. where I was doing the Miss Saigon productions and I was doing Flower Drum Song Tour and I did the Queen musical in Vegas. I mean, I had an amazing run, and then I started getting injuries. Ah. Mm-hmm. How old were you when this started to happen? Um, I think in my 30s. Uh-huh. So you knew that you had to kind of reinvent yourself, right? I think I was completely in denial that I needed uh, to reinvent myself. Okay. I just wanted okay. to keep dancing, but I couldn't physically. Right. And um, I wanted to stay in the arts, and I felt like I was lacking in the acting department. Okay. So I started taking acting classes. And that paid off because you got roles. hmm So what prompted you to produce Found in Korea? Well, I was in an acting class, and I also, at the same time, I got to help my sister give birth. So I helped her give birth to her daughter. Mm -hmm. Of course, it sparked a lot of questions. How was my birth? Uh Um, Had you much thought about that in the past? What was to think about? You had a family here, and that was it. I've never seen a birth before, except for my kittens. And so (laughs) I was in shock, I think. Like, everyone is born. Mm -hmm. So I was walking around kind of like, holy cow, you know. Uh (laughs) Um, So I was really questioning my own starts, starting point. um, How often did your parents talk about that with you? Not very often. Because you didn't ask or they didn't volunteer? Probably a combination of both. You never felt bullied or... or, (sighs) There were definitely times when I was bullied. There were definitely times that I felt like, oh, I I wish I looked a different way. There were definitely times that I talked about it with my parents. It wasn't something that I spent a lot of time on. And I think I had really thick skin as a kid. It wasn't 
not allowed to talk about in my house. Mm-hmm. It was open and welcome, but I think my parents were waiting for me to take the lead. Yeah, and yeah. it's often something that people don't talk about just because they just don't know how to start to step into that conversation. Anyone, family, friends, teachers. Mm-hmm. A lot That's of interesting. Mm-hmm. How old were you when your brother was adopted? I was almost five. And how did that impact you? Oh, it was a lot of things all at once. Right. Um, I was so excited, first of all, to have a younger brother from Korea as well. Mm-hmm. He arrived, he was two and a half when he arrived, and he spoke fluent Korean, looked at me, wanting to know why I wasn't answering him. Interesting. And it was painful uh-huh. as a four-year-old to be on the receiving end of all of his questions and not be able to help him out. I think part of me really started feeling things. You know, mm-hmm. for the first time I was feeling them via him, which is always a safer way to feel things. Right. Um, so that it impacted me that way. It also was great for me to say, hey, this is my little brother. Also, the two of us, you know, we look Korean, so if the two of us just go somewhere just by ourselves. In a way, safety in numbers. It is. Uh-huh. And, you know, I grew up in a very white community. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it was great for me to have him. Do you wish your parents had talked about this more? Yes, I do think I wish that they had been they had been better prepared just because it was also new, you know, a, a international adoption. Back did then, not yeah. Happen mm-hmm. until the 50s. Mm-hmm. So it was all very, very new. Mm-hmm. I think that nowadays people are much more aware and know to talk about things. Much more open. They Mm -hmm. are. There's still a long way to go. Yes, yes. But I do think it would have been beneficial to have other support groups that we would be able to have commonality. Even even that, just a very basic thing like that. Um, I I definitely covered my my mirror with stickers, so I blocked out my face. Oh dear. Yep. Uh huh. And I didn't know I was doing it. You know, it was something I didn't realize till I was in therapy years later. Because. I think I was just like, I just want to fit in. I just want to uh-huh. have different shape eyes. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, I want to be able to, I didn't know how to do my makeup until I got to Broadway. Some mm-hmm. of the girls pulled me aside and was, were like, hey, let me just show you doing your makeup like a white person. Mm-hmm. So were you the only one like you in school? Basically, yeah. Every once in a while, there was another Korean adoptee, but mm-hmm. they were few and far between, and I honestly didn't really want to have anything to do with Yeah, them. and why? Just because we came from Korea doesn't mean that we exactly. have to, you know, hang out together. And how wonderful for you to be able to find, I use the term in quotes, refuge in the arts. It was a beautiful form of what I would call therapy mm-hmm. and, and, and um, release in expression. It's nonverbal expression, which is what we need. I guess the safety of that, too, must have been really, really huge. It was great. And it didn't ha- it didn't hurt that I was actually good at it. So I, yeah. got, I was getting rewarded and I felt yes, good validated, very validated. So there was obviously this gnawing at you in your mind and in your heart. Who am I? What's going on here? And so maybe even being in the arts still, what made you think you could pull off this documentary. My acting teacher said, you know, I think you should go and do, he knew many, many things about, we, we use my my stuff mm. for, the, for the scenes and everything. Anyways, he said, I think it'd be really interesting if you went back and discovered where you came from. And I think you should document it. The seed stuck with me. That was actually when I was in acting class in my 30s. Okay, so that's relatively recently. Relatively yeah, recently. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. So the, the, I, the, well, actually in my 20s, the idea was mentioned. Um, I thought about it. I, w- I was, you know, mulling it over in my mind. Then 
I helped Amy give birth. And then I was like, you know, I really do want to go back to Korea. I really do want to see where I came from. I really want to do a birth search. I'm hmm. ready. So I asked um, my fellow actor, who is a director, if he would be willing to direct the film with me. He's also an adoptee. And I thought this will be a good fit. So he was willing. He came. We did it. I, I had no idea what was entailed in making a documentary. If I had known, I don't know if I would have done it. <laughs> I hear this from, from a lot of the women I interview. They just go for it. It's stunning. So you, this is 2010? Yeah, the seeds were planted in 2010. I wanted to ask you, though, did you talk to your brother about this? I did. I actually asked him if he wanted to come mm-hmm. and be part of the journey. He said he was not ready. Okay. Okay. And that I respect. Of course. Every of course. Person's on their own timing. So you and your director fly to Seoul. What my original plan was was to retrace my steps as an infant. I knew I was I had spent time in Seoul. I knew I had spent time in Busan. I knew I was from somewhere south of How much should your parents how much information were they able to provide for you? They gave me my entire file which was very sparse. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. They, you know, they laid out everything. They mm-hmm. weren't trying to hide, of course, anything. So basically, what I had to do was make appointments with each uh, with my adoption agency to meet with them to look at the files there because they have more information in Korea. In Korea, and so the, the adoption agency still exists. Yes, um, it's Holt Adoption Agency, and they told me to write a letter to my birth family if they were to be found. Like that's one of the preparations they suggest because, like, what you know, introducing yourself. Because there's going to be a language barrier. Of course. There's going to be. I mean, can you imagine? Well, so uh, in in <laughs> these documents were the names of your... They were not. They were not. So, so says, how could you make an introduction? It I mean, says unknown. Basically, you just say who you are to the imagined birth parents. You say, hey, I am so-and-so. Yeah. My name is... I yeah. was adopted by... Yeah. This is who I... I live here. I have brothers and sisters. If a birth family relative even is... no is found, they give you the option of sending that letter. Okay. So do they do the finding? They try. They try. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're willing to do this. Okay. So you send this letter before you go to Korea? I did. And how long between going and sending the letter? Let's see. There were probably quite a few months. And then you hear back from them? I said, I'm going to meet with you in your offices. I'm coming. This This is my plan, date, scheduled time. We do. We're going to film mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so I show up and, you know, I don't want to give everything away. You want people the, to watch your film. I want yeah. people to watch the film. But, you know, it's there's a challenge with um, older adoptions that the paperwork is very incomplete. I'm not surprised. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was on a basically a goose chase to find anyone that had come into contact with me as a baby, including foster families, including um, social workers any birth family and basically what we did was retrace my steps as an infant like every physical place that I could have been we went so we went to Seoul we spent uh, a week in Seoul we spent a week no we spent like four days three days in Busan and then where I also met with it there's an agency in Busan as well Seoul and Busan and then found out where I was my birthplace where I actually came from and then we we traveled down there and spent a good amount of time down there filming searching we did old-fashioned handout flyers it was great what was the difficulty in terms of language oh so much there were days I had an interpreter and there were days that I did not it was just you know I just did the best I could those days how long were you there three weeks 
Have you subsequently returned? I have not been back. The film is based on the three weeks of shooting that you did throughout the country. It is. And then there's also some interviews back in the States. Were you surprised at the fact that adoption is alive and well in South Korea in 2019? Yeah. Well, actually... Are there still a lot of abandoned babies? Yes. Why? Um, There's a huge stigma against unwed moms. Koreans really don't trust someone else's bloodline that they don't know. Um, That's a big issue that I learned when I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why Koreans are not adopting their own. Wow. It's wild. Yeah. I would think that that the tide would have turned all these years later. It's a fundamental mentality issue. So what was the process like for you in those three weeks? Well, you know, it was a roller coaster ride for me because I was also producing at the same time. So I was like trying to be emotionally present. detached as well as involved and yeah. present. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, I'd be like, oh, I think I'm gonna cry. Can you please turn the camera on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it was a it was a wild journey, and there were some funny funny moments. If you can just imagine, jet lagged, tired, emotionally overwhelmed. Um, I would say for sure the journey was a success. Um, I remember feeling when I came home, and it's really hard for me to put this in words that don't sound tacky or whatever, whatever, but I really do feel like a hole that was a part of me that I maybe didn't even know I had was filled. You had to do it. Whether you filmed it or not, you had to do it. I really do. I feel like there was a part of me that was maybe missing that I just didn't know. There's such a huge impact of seeing where you're from. But seeing where you're from, as opposed to seeing who you're from, what's the contrast to that? There's a huge difference. I mean, obviously, if you can imagine growing up and never knowing another person that's blood related to you, just think about that concept. Yeah. You walk through life, and when you're walking down the street, if you see someone that has this similar nose to you, you're like, I might be related to that person. Mm -hmm. It's a Mm -hmm. wild part of your identity that you're not even conscious of. So the fact that you assisted at the birth of your niece or nephew? It was actually, I got to niece first and then nephew. It was such a trigger for you. Mm -hmm. Not so much about witnessing the birth, but this baby knows who her parents are. And the process and the bonding and the everything. One of the major reasons I wanted to do this film is because I want kids to be able to talk about adoption and the feelings affiliated with adoption with their friends and family. And there's no doors that are open for them. They don't even have the language. I don't understand that. I don't understand why you didn't have that opportunity growing up. There's just not, it's, there's a stigma that once you're in a new place, in a new environment, that's healthy and happy. And so what are you complaining about? Yeah. Well, not even like, what are you complaining about? But like, why wouldn't you be happy? Nobody's saying that that wouldn't be right. Nobody's saying that that's not the case. Maybe people just don't appreciate the depth and the complexity of all of this. I think that it's not that it's I feel like it's not like I don't want to blame people for not knowing. You know, there's that not that they don't appreciate it. They just don't they're not aware. You know, it's it's they they don't know better. So it's something that I wanted to bring into light. I wanted to bring it into light for families who are celebrating the adoption. I want them to also be able to talk about things that, you know, it's a 
little pinky toe dip into some of the more difficult conversations. It doesn't delve deeply. The film is meant for kids. Oh, that's interesting. The film is meant, it's created for kids to watch. There are subtitles, so you have to be able to read, Mm -hmm. but it's... It, the tone, the vibe, everything is for kids to watch and digest. And empower them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Give them a voice. Give them questions, words that they can put into their own questions. Mm-hmm. And have parents recognize that there is a trauma. There is their story that's before they joined this family. Do you think that that was something your adoptive parents were unaware of? I definitely think they were unaware of it. They didn't know better. My mom has even said, like, I wish we knew better. I Isn't wish that interesting? Know. It's just something that people didn't think about. It's not, it's no fault. It's no one's fault. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's I understand. It's, it's the fact of the matter is it was all new and it was so happy on this side. Mm-hmm. It was so joyous. We're having a, making our family bigger. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a great idea. And, and a, yes, there is a celebration and I don't want to downplay the celebration. I want to make bring to light the circumstances that exist that make a a birth mother have to relinquish a child it's a really intense decision for sure that is a trauma to both birth mother and baby oh gosh a lot of loss and a lot of catching up to do mm-hmm. what made you go into therapy Oh, there's so many reasons, but I was ready to investigate some of the things. Is this before you went to Korea? Oh, I've been in therapy at various points throughout mm-hmm. my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them more beneficial than others. Um, I, I I do want to bring up a statistic that's really, you know, troubling is that there's a huge a huge connection between adoption and addiction, and mm-hmm. that is um, a soothing mechanism. And Paul Sunderland does a great talk on it, actually. And then also, unfortunately, adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide. Wow. There is a huge loss that no one is talking about the undertow. And I want people to be able to talk about it so they can avoid this. Yeah, sure. And even if it's not avoiding it, it's just like being more aware. How ubiquitous is adoption? Are more children being adopted than they were back in the day? I don't know the statistics. Mm -hmm. I'm not you know, an aficionado mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. adoption. Um, I, I, I make no claims to be an adoption professional. I just know that what my goal is, is to have a conversation where both sides of the story can be more openly investigated in hopes of being able to look at the trauma and heal it. So your film is completed? My film is done. It's being submitted to film festivals. I got into film festivals so far. Mm-hmm. Um, what about schools? About showing to schools, mm-hmm. I think that'll be after. I can't imagine that this is the first film of its kind of going back and looking for. There are a few, mm-hmm. definitely, and and I also think that it's really important in the adoption world. Like, yes, there's so much similarity in all of our adoption stories, especially specifically con- specific countries. Yes. So there's so much. Oh God, same, 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 same. Yes, me too, me too, me too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the closer you focus in. There are unique situations Circumstances, that yeah. must be addressed. addressed. And I think that, that people are forgetting to do that. Tell me about what your younger brother thought of the film. Oh, he loved it. And did The that... first time he watched it, he was like <laughs> like hovering in the corner watching mm-hmm. it. But he said he really liked it. He thought he said it made him think about wanting to go back. And he'd do it on his own terms and when he was ready. Exactly. And what about your parents? They loved it. Oh, they were so supportive about it. It was, you know, a lot of people think that they wouldn't be, but my parents are just pretty incredible people. So mm-hmm. they are, they're 
more than supportive. So how long did this, from beginning to end, take you to put together, to give birth to, no pun intended? It's been a nine-year... Project. Oh, God, yeah. So you only went to Korea once. You didn't have to go back. I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota once because that has the highest concentration of Korean adoptees worldwide. Why? Um, That was the first infantry sent to Korea. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so where's Nam now? I'm actually in um, grad school Mm -hmm. um, getting an MSW for social work Mm -hmm. at Silverman. So I just finished my first year. And basically what I'm doing is I want to be able to support the community, the constellation, the entire adoption constellation. You know, there's a lot to be done. Right. I want right. to empower the children. So that's think, what your focus is. I really want to work with kids. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to. It's been. So is the theatrical world off the plate for you for now? You know, people <laughs> keep asking me to do projects here and there. And I, I've just been so busy mm-hmm. that I haven't been able to. You don't miss it? I do miss it. A social work is actually very creative, mm-hmm. I will say. Yeah. The more creative you can be, the better social worker you, you are. I do miss the theater, the live theater. I don't think there's anything like it in the entire world. That's for sure. I miss mm-hmm. it. I'm so happy. I know what it's about. I so I'm so happy I can appreciate it when I go to the theater. Mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. miss it. Um, I'm not going to say I'll never do it again, but for now, this your is focus where... has shifted, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Do you see other films in your future? Not by myself, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I would do it if I had some some strong supports. Mm-hmm. I would I would consider. Yeah, well, it is a slog. I mean, in terms of Ooh. raising the money and and did you feel comfortable about all the roles that you you know in terms of writing? You did say you had a director, did he? But I gave you that credit as well. What I, happened? Well, it ended up in the editing process. It ended up being that I was a director. That was very, very clear mm-hmm. <laughs> because we started mm-hmm. looking at the 60 hours of footage. Oh, that my we God. Had. Oh, my gosh. Right. Wow. So we took direction of the film. And actually, you know, I'd started off with another editor and I didn't like where it was going. So I had to restart everything. I did. So that's why it took so long. Yes. So this 2010 to what? To now? To now. Well, you know, the film was finished in the fall of last year. Mm-hmm. But then I got to do all the PR and all the. You know, press kit and all that stuff. What about it being shown in Korea? Oh, I definitely want it to be shown in Korea. I have one of my family friends that I met there Mm -hmm. um, have offered to translate it. They have offered to do the translations, which is a huge job. I bet. So I I said I will have some time this summer to try to get those in there. Mm -hmm. And I definitely want it shown in Korea. Um, Don't know if it's going to be, you know, how it's going to be received. received. Yes. Did you feel that you were welcomed when you went there? Absolutely. It was like overwhelming how welcomed I felt. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's because I had a camera with me or is because, you know, they of who you are, mm-hmm. or whatever, because, whatever the reason. Who cares? I who cares? was I was like held up like a little cream puff. Wow. <laughs> when you viewed your film, you're really proud of it. You felt like you hit it out of the park. Huh? I am very proud of the film. Yeah. And it speaks volumes for you. And it's also probably a public service. Well, that's the whole reason I did it. It's not for me. Because you managed to make life work for you, even though the looking different, which had to be so pronounced when they you were growing. They addressed it. When I was five, it's a famous story. My mom and I were looking at dollies. There were no no Asian dollies. Yeah, hello. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. Nam, if someone asked you to, do, to describe yourself, what would you say? And I thought, what does describe mean? And she said, it means to say how something looked. Mm-hmm. So I think about it. Think about it. I, th- I, I would say I look fine. Hmm. Yeah. That's where my mindset was because yeah. there's mm-hmm. just no other awareness. Yeah. And they, yeah. You, they tr- she tried. Yes. She tried little avenues in. Okay, she's checking in. I think she's okay. 
it's hard to have these conversations. Yeah, I bet. But I'm, I'm sure that the therapy was really helpful for you as well. Oh, absolutely. It was. Yeah. And still is. Yeah, <laughs> right. It could certainly be an ongoing endeavor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Nam, thank you so much for sharing your life with us. It's really very interesting. And your film is bound in Korea and should be out in wide release at some point? It should be very soon. There's festivals that are accepting it. This, I guess, got accepted to it. Is there a website that people can go to? It's um, www.foundinkorea.com. Okay. You can also find it on Facebook and Twitter. There you go. Well, I wish you a lot of success with this very important work of yours. Thank you so much. We need people. We need more noms. (laughs) And maybe we'll see you on the stage again. Maybe. You never know. Hey. (laughs) You never say never, right? <laughs> Thank Thanks so Sandy. much, Nam. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs>